0: Welcome back, everyone. My name is Nick Lundberg, and this is the Sports Roundtable, your end-of-the-week sports update on all things Michigan State. Live from Impact Station here at Holden Hall, I'm with Brendan, the sports director at Impact. How are we doing since the last time we saw you, Brendan?
1: It's been a minute. I was glad to be here for the first episode and uh, glad to get some of our other people from sports involved uh, with this podcast. Uh, Since then, um, but it's been good. A lot of stuff has happened. I'm sure our our football discussion today is going to be a little different than it was (laughs) Uh, for the pilot episode, um, but it's been good. It's been good. There's been a lot of really great things from some of the smaller sports. You know, you talk about both soccer teams, basketball's right around the corner, too. There's a lot of stuff going on.
0: There's a lot of stuff to look forward to, even though we, you know, we have to talk about football, unfortunately. But I want to dive into one of the teams that's making a lot of waves on campus is women's soccer. Um, Last week, they beat number six Penn State on the road, two to one, Lauren Kozel had a massive seven saves, and then they beat Maryland on the road again, four to nothing, which was their largest Big Ten margin of victory since 2013. Um, This is the team's best start to play in school history. Um, A lot of players making waves, which we can get into a little bit. But, Brendan, where did this team come from?
1: I mean, I think when you—we talked about Jeff Hostler the the first time I was on here, and you look at his track record, and— it's at Grand Valley state in which he went to nine uh, division two national championships, won five um, in all of his nine years there uh, as the head coach. But it, it's tough to, you know, understand and especially for a smaller sport like, like soccer, where maybe, you know, a bunch of fans and us media too are, are not as well versed in it as a sport like football or basketball. Um, it's tough to understand and know if that, level of coaching is going to translate to the Division I level, and not just the Division I, but the Power Five level too, and a very good soccer country and, and Big Ten country. And I think it speaks for itself, the fact that he went to nine national championships in Division II. I don't think, you know, I think we're realizing now, no matter what level you're at, that's a feat that deserves all the um, recognition and is absolutely amazing. And, it, and it's not... A a huge surprise that this team is that good. It's more of a pleasant surprise. It's something that you know maybe they're surpassing expectations, but we expected them to be good. And you you talk to some of the players around this program, you talk to the people that are close to the women's soccer team, the Red Cedar Rowdies, who are uh, very close uh, fans and followers. There was a vibe, and you could tell that this team was going to be good, and they are going to compete. Uh, for some high-level awards, and it's just coming to fruition now, and, and it's great to see. I think the only thing we need is we need this team to have that national recognition. They have not been ranked, astonishingly, by the United Soccer Coaches poll. And that needs to change. This team is so good. They've had multiple girls get in the, the top drawer soccer national team of the week. Jordan Wickes was just it recently for this week. Uh, Justina Gaynor, I think the week before or two yep. weeks before. I mean, th- th- they've been a lot of fun to watch. They've been outstanding defensively. Lauren Coleswell might be the best goalkeeper in the country. Facts. And this team needs to be ranked. I mean, I mean, we have to put the rest of the nation on notice and say – you know, check out Michigan State because you're going to see him uh, come postseason time if you haven't seen him already.
0: Yeah, Exactly. And I just wanted to say that or I wanted to float it out there that Jeff Hostler might be a top three coach on campus, if not the hottest one. Right now, I think now. he might
1: be the best coach on campus. Honestly, yeah. the, the way he turned this program around in year one, I mean, they were expected to finish, I believe, second to last in the Big Ten in his first year and they finished fourth. Um, And again, they were expected this season to finish sixth, and they're already at the top of the Big Ten right now. Obviously, there's still some games left, and we have to finish out the rest of the season. But to just completely do a 180 with a program that was really struggling, was losing some talent to the transfer portal as well. He brought Bria Skrotenborg back after she transferred to Duke. She came back here. She's been great on that back line for Michigan State. It's really nice to see one of these teams make a rebuild the way they're supposed to. I know you and I have grown up Detroit sports fans and unfortunately, obviously fans of Michigan State, and we've been through <clears throat> in our short lifetime a number of rebuilds, unsuccessful ones I'll add, exactly. um, and it's nice to see one that's working out.
0: It is, and this team just has blown me away. They're 9-1-3 and on the year. They're going to play Michigan in another big matchup. Obviously, Michigan's always a big game this Sunday. Um, but moving on to another team, the other soccer team on campus that has been doing a lot better than they were at the start of the season, the men's team. Um, after beating Michigan, we talked about that in the last podcast, they beat Wisconsin over the weekend 1-0. One n- one They'll play Penn State tonight at 7. Um, now they're f- they have four wins on the season, still four losses and two draws. Um, but it's been nice to see them. We talked about it. Uh, um, it's been nice to see them kind of come back from what uh, they, how they started. To where they are now
1: yeah I mean the way they started the year it was easy to kind of lose your hopes maybe um for this team and some of those losses came against uh good teams but not big 10 teams and so you you it wouldn't be too crazy to think oh well they haven't even started the big 10 season yet where is that gonna go um but they've really turned it around I think it took a few games for the freshmen to get their kind of get their sea legs under them and, and learn what college soccer is all about. Um, I think Owen Finerty has the most confidence of anybody on this team right now. He's been playing really well lately for them. Injury to Will Perkins and some other guys, you know, ha- has you know kind of slowed them. But the team has won through those injuries and. and uh, through some of those losses. Louis Sala missed a game due to a red card. You know, him and him and Perkins are captains on this team, and they were still able to pick up wins without those guys. That's huge. Um, and that just goes to show how well these freshmen are learning and how well they're being coached by Rensing and the rest of his staff. Um, and I think there's a lot to like about these freshmen, uh, not just for the rest of this season, but for the years to come. It, it's hard to tell where this team will be uh, come postseason time, you just hope, like in any other sport, they're playing their best soccer at the right time. Um, and it seems like they might be on a trend to do that right now. This game against Penn State is a chance to get over the 500 mark and be a game above. And that's a really big opportunity. Penn State's usually a pretty good team. That'll be a tough matchup tonight. But if they can go out there and win that and make a statement, that will set them up very well for the rest of the year.
0: And it's surprising that we're even talking about this after the mood around the team for that throughout the first what five games or so they just they've they've been a completely different team the second half of their schedule but moving on to another squad that has been showing a lot of freshmen early is hockey um, even though they lost their exhibition to the U.S. national team development program uh, they had two freshmen uh, Dor- Dorwart and Shouty both they both scored in the exhibition and then they'll move on to Bowling Green for their first uh, regular season game this weekend in a series or first two regular season games excuse me.
1: Yeah, it, let's call a spade a spade. It's never good to lose to 17- and 18-year-olds who are going to be on your team in a couple of years. Yeah. And and hey, it's not just this year. Michigan State has lost to the US NTDP you know, many times before. But there were some things to like, and I, I think if you really... This is an exhibition game, um, and you don't want to take too much from it, but... Other positives to take are the guys that we saw on the U.S. NTDP roster. Some of them are already committed to come to Michigan State. Trey Augustine, their goalkeeper, was 34 of 37 on saves, um, and two of those came in the third period when his team was already up 4-1, uh, to one, two of those goals for Michigan State. But I think Nightingale made a good point in his presser after that game, and you know he said it was a slow start, but he thought they were definitively the better team the second half of the game, and I think he was right. Um, And they came back and scored two in the third period and didn't give up any more. The defense kind of held its ground a little bit and gave them a chance to win that game. But the main storyline here is that this is going to be a long season. It's not going to be easy, and 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 I don't think we can expect... A Jeff Hostler like turnaround from Michigan State hockey, but this is a team who won the national championship in this century, you know, and and they want to get back to that level of play again. The Big Ten is fantastic for hockey. There are so many great guys who are in the NHL right now who were here a year or two ago that you know we were calling games for and covering. And if Michigan State can get back to competing in the Big Ten. It'll make it a lot of fun to be at Ice Arena on a Friday or a Saturday night um, and watching them take on some of these Big Ten teams. I think for this year, and I like that you brought it up, the main focus is going to be the younger guys, the freshmen. There are going to be a lot of names we've never heard have big games and score and uh, do stuff like that just because there's so many new faces on this roster, but that's what you need in a rebuild. That's the whole point is you're changing this entire program you got to bring in a bunch of new people, and if we can see them be competitive in a couple of the Big Ten series, uh, if they can maybe finish second to last and not last like they're predicted, uh, th- it'll be a win this year for for Nightingale in his first year.
0: And another first-year head coach's squad has been doing pretty well this year. Talk about Leah Johnson with the volleyball program. They're in the midst of a tough stretch currently, but they beat Maryland three to two last Friday. Um, but after that, they lost to number twelve ranked Penn State, one to three, and they'll play Minnesota this weekend. The top number eleven team in the country. Um, they've kind of stalled out after a very very hot start, but that's expected of a first year coach with a new team going into Big Ten play.
1: Yeah, and and volleyball, people don't realize how grueling of a schedule it is. They're going to play a bunch of matches this year, and and it's pretty consistent with the travel as well. They were just out in Nebraska at Penn State on the road. Uh, They played at Maryland as well, uh, Rutgers, and and it's not easy for those players. And, And so when they get off to a hot start like they did in non-conference play, it's good. But it, it has to be sustainable in the Big Ten play. Um, and they're just not at that level yet. Um, again, first-year head coach and Leah Johnson. She is doing fantastic. She she reminds me of the way Tucker kind of jumped onto the scene when he got here. She is all about her team and promoting her team. And I, I, I don't know if any of our listeners were aware, but, we, you know, a couple weeks ago when she was in a press conference, she went to every single reporter and said, hey, do you? Have, what's your name? Who do you work for? Do you have a question for me? Because she's trying to put her team and herself on the map and, and you know bring the spotlight to them and say, hey, we've got some really fantastic student-athletes here um, that are doing really good things, and this is going to be a really good team. We're not there yet, but we're going to get there. Um, and I just love the attitude that she has. I think she's definitely the right woman for the job. I think Alan Haller made the right decision pulling her from Illinois State, and I think she's another one who it feels like, you know maybe not on paper right now, uh, maybe not looking at the numbers, but it feels like this is a volleyball team who in as little as a year or two will be talking about competing for a Big Ten championship.
0: And I feel like, <clears throat> especially with Leah Johnson, but with everyone else, that Haller, as his stretches an AD so far, has been nothing short of what you can ask for out of a new athletic director. All of the new head coaches seem like they've been um finding their place like we said Nightingale's doing well recruiting Leah Johnson's had got her team off to a hot start I know Hostler wasn't a uh, Haller higher but I mean he's they're both the same year basically right. so he's been tearing it up and I mean it's just great to see all these young coaches um, and, I mean, Tucker's only in his third year, and we know what he's done. But it's great to see all these coaches make waves. But one guy we don't have to worry about is Tom Izzo, and we just want to talk about basketball real quick as Midnight Madness is coming up. And we're going to see some scrimmages out of both the men's and women's team. And in my opinion, I really want to see how Dede Hageman, Matilda Eck, and Maddie Suzoko perform in these scrimmages because I feel like these three players are very, very important keys development-wise, to how the season will look for both of these teams?
1: Yeah, I'm really interested to see the women's team uh, and how they look in the scrimmage. It's really hard to tell. I think a lot of non-basketball people or maybe pedestrian basketball fans can... Overreact to something like Midnight Madness, kind of similar to, you know, preseason football and basketball and whatnot. But there is stuff that you can take away. I don't think anybody should look at the score, should look at turn. The stats do not matter at all in, in any of these scrimmages. But just the eye test, literally, how do players look? Do they look in shape? Do they look fast? Do they look strong? Do they look confident? Um, that's what we're looking for out of Midnight Madness. Um, and, and if we see some of that, uh, that'll be a good sign. I think we. What you really want to see for someone like Didi Hageman, you want to see her dominate the ball. Uh, Every possession that she's on the floor offensively, she should start with the ball in her hands, I feel like. Uh, You want to see some good decision-making, crisp passes. And for Matilda Eck, who I had so much fun watching last year, and I'm really excited to get to see her play this year. She's just such a, an exciting player, and she works so hard. And, and the way she shoots the ball is just lights out. She's and, got a strap. And, and, and I, I'm looking to, to see to see if uh, if she's in midseason form in Midnight Madness. And, and if she is, if she's knocking down some shots, the rest of the Big Ten better take note because she's going to be someone that's in their scouting report very quickly, uh, and they're going to have to focus on. On the men's side, I, I think Marty Sissoko is a, is a big name that – you have to pay attention to, again, with the eye test. Just how does he look? Has he kind of honed in and chiseled some of those raw skills that he has and that raw talent? Um, I was able to go to their open practice the first one of the year, and I'll be completely honest. Some guys looked good, looked better than I thought. Joey Hauser looks really in shape. He looks faster. He looks more confident. I was impressed with Carson Cooper. Cooper can reach his arm halfway up, and he's already touching the rim, basically. um, He, he looks taller than 6'11", I think, or 6'10", is what he's listed at. And, and, and I think he can be a nice piece moving forward. I'm bummed out, obviously, that we don't get to see Jaden Akins and Malik Hall with their injuries. Um, Trey Holloman looked good. I thought A.J. Hogard looked a lot faster than he did, which is kind of surprising to say because... He was already surprisingly fast, I think, just for his body type. Um, but Izzo had mentioned how Hogarth had lost some weight. Pierre Brooks had lost some weight. You can see that. Hopefully that's visible uh, for Midnight Madness in that scrimmage. And then the freshmen. Y- you want to see guys like Jackson Kohler, like we said, Trey Hollum and Carson Cooper. How they handle that atmosphere. How they play with fans in the building. You know, If any of them gets a wide-open three, are they going to knock it down, or do the nerves kind of get to them a little bit? But, yeah, I think Maudie Sissoko is going to be a huge piece for this team this year. This is a Michigan State basketball team that seems, I don't want to say boring, but maybe mundane is a nicer way to put it in the fact that they don't have anybody super exciting. They don't have any five stars coming in. Um, there's no Cassius Winstons or Xavier Tillmans returning to this team after a Final Four run. But you look at them last year— Tyson Walker was very exciting to watch. AJ Hogart down the stretch. Joey Hauser played his best game of his career two games ago against Davidson. Uh-huh. Michigan State, I believed him. I thought they were going to be Duke. They were up five with five minutes to go, and I said it in my brain. I said, wow, this is Coach K's last game. <laughs> and sure enough, Duke did Duke things. But the Big Ten is so wide open for basketball this year. I will not be surprised if some random team like Maryland or Northwestern or somebody or Penn State out of nowhere is really good this year and kind of runs away with the Big Ten. I think we can expect Indiana to be good. You look down the road, Michigan, they're kind of like Michigan State. They have Hunter Dickinson and he's going to do Hunter Dickinson things and he's going to average, you know, 27 and 14 this year or whatever. But the rest of that roster has a lot to prove and so does Michigan State. And because of that, because of how wide open it is, I think Michigan State is one of those teams who's not necessarily random, but they don't jump off the page at you looking at them at the start of the season. But I think come January and February, we're talking about, we could be talking about a Michigan State team who's second or third place in the Big Ten and fighting for that top spot.
0: Especially after learning from what they're going to be seeing in that that non-conference schedule, which is just an absolute gauntlet. And you know Izzo isn't scared, but to me when I look at that, it's – I, with this roster I'm I, I can't help but get nervous for to go less than 500 because I mean you've got Villanova I don't even know um off the top, who else is Gonzaga? They'll In, play Gonzaga,
1: Alabama, yeah. and then the winner of UConn versus Oregon, um, and then after that they could play Villanova again, North Carolina. Absurd. Yeah, they'll they'll, they'll play Notre Dame, and, and also too, we talked about it on the Green and White Report here on Impact. That's every Sunday from eleven to one. We can't sleep on the smaller non-conference teams that they'll play, too. Buffalo, always good in their conference every single year. They gave Michigan a run for their money last season. Oakland has added some nice new pieces. Rocket Watts is going to make his return to East Lansing and take on Michigan State. Uh, And then Brown is uh, every single year competitive in the Ivy League and one of the best teams. I'm very excited for that game, selfishly, because Daniel Friday, one of my best friends, uh, plays for Brown, and he'll get to come back to East Lansing and take on Michigan State. Uh, along with Doug Wojcik, uh, Michigan State assistant coach, uh, his son plays for Brown as well, so that's going to be a fun one. But I mean, you know, you, you like you mentioned, you know, you're nervous for this team to to even go 500. I'm gonna just put it out there for for hoops fans. This is a team who very well could be under 500 by the time Big Ten play starts, yep. and it's just because of the schedule. I think it's only going to make them better. I, I think the one issue that can arise in the long run hurt this team from the schedule is just the fatigue and the injuries I think if someone I think it's going to be easy for these players to get run down after this schedule and it's not just because of the teams they're playing these are division one athletes who are capable of playing tough competition night in and night out I mean these guys are playing AAU against the best players in the country you know Four four days a week all summer before they get to college. Um, That's nothing new. The difference is the travel. They go to San Diego for Gonzaga. Then they'll come back, and then they'll go to Oregon for the— uh, Phil Knight tournament, and they got to travel to Notre Dame as well. It, it's not going to be easy to do all this travel across the country in, in you know such short time periods. They'll go to Indy to take on Kentucky in the Champions Classic. That's a, That's a lot. It's taxing on coaches, on players, on family members and stuff. And I think that could be an avenue where, I don't want to say derail, but maybe kind of slows them down before Big Ten play starts. And like we said, the Big Ten is wide open, so I don't think anything is guaranteed for any of these teams. We can... Expect, you know, those teams like Nebraska, Northwestern, and Minnesota to maybe not be uh, at the top of the barrel. But I won't be surprised if they're better than we're expecting them to be right now either.
0: Yeah, I feel like the conference is wide open. Um, But now that one sport that we should talk about is football, unfortunately. But uh, we got to mention something. Uh, The defense overall, I think the team looked better than they did against Minnesota, which isn't really saying a lot. Yeah, it's hard um, to get worse than that. Yeah, exactly. But being on the road against a good QB and a good, a very good pass game with our, you know, how our secondary is, but uh, I don't need to go into that. But they, only, they gave up 27. They only scored 13. Um, Thorn had that pick six that was uh, taken away to end the half. Which,
1: yeah, uh, I was talking about that on the Green and White Report, and it's a weird penalty. It really is, and it's... I think it's easy to look at the score and be like, oh, only twenty-seven, and you know, defense looked better. But and it's easy to look at Peyton Thorne and say like, oh, he wasn't that bad. I thought this was one of his worst games in yeah. the Green and White, and that that's such a strange penalty because. I think it's maybe the right call hitting a defenseless receiver when Jaden Reed took that hit. But that's one of their best defensive players for Maryland, and he laid off on that hit. It could have been a lot worse. And if you just think about it logically, it had nothing to do with the pick. Mm -hmm. That ball was getting caught and returned either way. The penalty didn't technically negate that. So Michigan State got a little lucky in the scoreboard column uh, and had a touchdown taken off from Maryland, I think.
0: Yeah, but... That's one thing I've been very disappointed in this year was uh Peyton Thorne's um I think I believe we talked about this in the first one. His decision making is just it hasn't been it hasn't improved like it should should be improved if he wants to, you know, take that next step as MSU's QB.
1: Absolutely. And there's no that's clear cut as day. There's no other way to put it. I think the bright the only bright side for him this season has been the Washington game, in which he kind of you know, was the one of the only guys. Him and Keon basically kept Michigan State respectable in that game and relatively close in the second half. But it was too little, too late. But other than that, there has not been a lot to like from Peyton Thorne, and there are a lot of fans already clamoring for Noah Kim. And it just doesn't feel like Tucker and Jay Johnson are going to make that decision and, and are really ready to give up their guy yet. But I think the biggest thing for me it's not even on the field it doesn't feel like thorn has control of this team it no. doesn't feel like they have the same chemistry and, and obviously you lose the swagger when you lose three games and only lost two all all season last year but it, it doesn't feel like he has control of this offense it doesn't feel like he's a leader right now and and that's some of... He's to blame for some of that, but also it's just the fact that they're just not as good as last year, and it's going to be harder to do those things when you're not winning. Um, and winning cures all. They just need to pick up a win at this point. It's going to be really hard. I I mean, they might lose six in a row. But I, I think they're really missing Darius Snow and Xavier Henderson. Obviously, the defense is worse off without those guys, but again, to me, it's not even on the field. It's in the locker room with leaders, and with a guy like Xavier Henderson, you know, giving your pregame speeches and suited up and going out there and making plays. That's just a different attitude to have, especially if you're a transfer or a freshman trying to get used to East Lansing and this football program. Without them, I think Thorne has had to suffer a little bit more weight on his shoulders as the leader, and just hasn't really handled it ideally. And they're in a tough spot. They got Ohio State coming up, Wisconsin and Michigan. After that, like I said, I mean, six in a row is on the table and maybe more. I don't, I don't see four more wins in this schedule. I mean, you you, you see an avenue where the Michigan game, everything before that is thrown out the door. That game is always up for grabs, fifty fifty coin toss, no matter what. Exactly. Illinois on the road might present more challenges than people think. You can't guarantee anything against a team like Indiana or Rutgers. Penn State looks really darn good. So you can find six wins. I think you can talk yourself into it, but right now, I don't see it. I yeah. just don't.
0: I feel like that Wisconsin game could be very much a win, um especially now that Paul Christ is out, um Paul Christ, but yeah, like you like you said I, I I'm on I'm on page with you. I don't see a way this team wins this weekend unless Stroud just
1: it it would take something <laughs> Astronomically crazy <laughs> it for went. for uh, we we were talking about it on our show. You know we were we were talking about what is the line gonna be? Yeah, and you know Liam and Zach Slowick, uh, Liam Jackson, our editor here, were making jokes that it was gonna be thirty or forty points. And I mean twenty three at home is still a lot. Yeah. It opened
0: it opened at twenty six and a half, which is the largest spread for a home underdog since nineteen ninety five.
1: Right, and, and I I won't be surprised if it's more than that. Yeah. I honestly won't. I think this, is a, this game against Ohio State has a very good chance of looking just like it did last year, but maybe even worse. I mean, I don't think Ohio State's going to run the ball in the first half. I think they're just going to pass it. They don't need Stroud's to. Stroud's going to have 27 attempts by halftime, and he's going to be 25 of 27, and... I think that it's going to be like last year. They'll call the dogs off in the third quarter, um, and maybe Michigan State does some good garbage time things. Um, but they are they they're going to need God on their side on Saturday if they want to come out with a win or anything close to it.
0: And Tucker keeps saying it's a game of inches um, with the losses they've suffered so far. So if it really is, and he's really um, on point with that statement, then if I mean any if anything could happen then if they fi- if they fix up what he's seeing is going wrong but I mean, again i don't really see a way out of a w- way we come out with a win here yeah
1: and even if it was a game of inches you look at last year where they were fresh off the loss to Purdue but still one of the best teams in the country still competing for a big 10 title and they went in there to the horseshoe and it wasn't even close. And I, I don't think the venue matters either. I don't no. think Ohio State at noon is exactly a, a terrifying place to play. And, and so, even if it's a game of inches and even if you're having your best season in recent memory, it, Ohio State still blew you out of the water. Um, and and I, I don't think they're as good as they were last year, obviously, with the record and stuff like that. But I don't necessarily agree that it's a game of inches. I think this team is in the secondary leaps and bounds behind a lot of programs. And part of it is coaching, part of it is scheme, part of it is, um, yeah, the the depth chart. And and so it's kind of death by a thousand cuts where it's, you know, they don't have the worst uh, on paper secondary in the country with the players that they have. They have some guys with great skill. They don't have the worst scheme, and they don't have the worst defensive coordinator. But when, not, when none of them are up to par to where they should be, it leads to, as a whole, the defense just really suffering. Um, and that's just kind of where Michigan State finds themselves right now.
0: Needless to say, the rest of the season is going to be very interesting, and going forward, we'll, who knows what's going to happen. But that's it for the sports roundtable this week. Thank you, Brendan for hosting or for coming out. It was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, always fun to be here. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yep.
0: Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next Friday for another edition. Peace out.